Today's podcast is brought to you by Vivo Barefoot. You guys know I rock my Vivos whenever I'm not running, and I'm pleased to announce that they just released their brand new revolutionary shoe, the Modus Strength, which is the first ever zero drop barefoot strength training shoe. It's made for moving naturally during high impact workouts with added protection and stability that doesn't sacrifice the barefoot feel and benefits. It is breathable, lightweight, and comfortable, and I use the Modus for every strength session in the gym. I used to wear old running shoes that were beaten down while going to the gym, and to say the Modus has been a massive upgrade would be an understatement. The whole point of going to the gym for me is to strengthen my inefficiencies, and that is exactly what Vivos do when it comes to your feet and lower body. My feet personally have never felt stronger, and using the Modus Strength for these gym sessions has been a big game changer for me. You guys can use code THERUNNINGEFFECT15 to get 15% off of your purchase of the Modus Strength or any of Vivo Barefoot's wide selection of shoes. You guys can scroll down in the show notes or go directly to vivobarefoot.com. Again, that is code THERUNNINGEFFECT15 to get 15% off of your purchase. And also feel free to shoot me a DM or email. If you have any questions in regards to the Modus Strength or any of Vivo Barefoot's shoes, I absolutely love Vivo Barefoot. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to work with them. They have been a game changer for me in terms of strengthening my feet. And I hope you guys will check them out and their products out because I do believe that your running and life can be impacted by using their products. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic. I will make this introduction very, very short. Today on the podcast is Joe Wascom. Joe runs for the University of Washington, and his list of accomplishments are so far-fetched that if I were to read them off, this intro would be longer than the podcast itself. He's run 351 in the mile, 334 in the 1500, both school records for UW. He's also won an NCAA championship, made a world championship team. He's done it all. Uh, It was a very fun conversation today, very informative, and I loved all the stories about his triumphs within the sport and his journey to get to where he is today. Day. One quick note, if you're not doing so already, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow, a five-star review, and share today's episode or any of the episodes in the past with a friend, a family member, or someone who you think would find value and benefit from it. Without further ado, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Wascom. Joe Wascom, welcome to the Running Effect Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? Yeah, doing pretty good. Just got back from uh, practice this morning. Just met met with the boys, went on an easy run, and yeah, just did a lift, just kind of getting back into things. Wow, I'm shocked. You didn't take any time off? You're just straight into fall training? I took like, I don't know, over the last like eight days since since the World Champs, I took like maybe five days off, ran ran some um, just like easy runs like while I was in Budapest. Ran. Uh, I ended up doing like... Um, pre-meet with like my teammate and roommate Brian um before his 5k so that was fun then got to jog with um Sam Tanner who's like my freshman year roommate here and yeah we yeah it was fun yeah just catching up with with old roommates when you're in those like five-ish days as you described days off from running of course you've been like pedal to the metal for the pat for many many months in the NCAA system which we'll get into you know indoor and outdoor it's back to back and it's really you know gas 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 for many many months at a time is it weird hitting the off switch very suddenly like what what are your thoughts during those few days is it like antsy to get back or do you enjoy it yeah I mean it's been like it's been a pretty long season like I feel like I've been like I mean I raced like 
middle of January. And like, that's when I ran like 218 in the K, but like, even like earlier than that, I, I feel like I finished cross country season and I was like pretty fired up cause I didn't do super well. So I don't know. I would say since like maybe December 1st, like I feel like I've been like pretty wired and like wanting to do well and wanting to like get the most out of like myself in training. So I don't know. It was nice. It was definitely like weird. Like I, like I didn't really like comprehend like right after I was done with the world champs and like I didn't advance that like my season was over. Um, like I guess I didn't, I wasn't even really like thinking that way, but yeah, I mean, it, it's been enjoyable. Uh, I got to see Budapest and just like, I took advantage of my off days. I don't like walk around a ton during the day. So like during my like off days, like I probably ended up walking like six to eight miles, just like seeing the city. You mentioned that 218K race back in January. Something I hear quite frequently, it's just become like a catchphrase for the commentators. It almost feels like when you get to like USA's or world champs in your case, you hear quite frequently, this kid has been racing for, you know, X amount of months, or they'll bring up a statistic of the race you just mentioned or whatever it might be. I hear this all the time for the NCAA athletes who many advanced to the world champs or US champs. My question for you is, do you actually think it potentially could help you that you race so much because you've done the thing so many times that you're just way more prepared compared to those professional athletes who we know that we know a lot of them will, you know, barely race at all. I know a lot, uh, many friends who opened up their season at the U.S. Champs and, you know, some like Sean McGordy, he ended up making it in two races. So it worked for him. Um, and yeah. others, there's similar examples. So I'm not trying to put, you know, one size fits all on everybody, but do you almost feel like the amount of racing you do in the caliber of the Pac-12 and the NCAA has helped you doing it year round to kind of get you ready for these big meets. Yeah, I do think it helps. I feel like there's there's being like really, really fit and being in shape. And then there's being like race ready and race fit. And I like this was probably one of my better like, I don't know, track season openers this year in the K. And maybe it's just because I'm getting older and I just like I can open up a little bit better. But I don't know. I got to like the U.S. champs and like even though it's like a big stage, it's just like 1500 meters. You're running three laps and three quarters around the track. And like I know the competition's better, but eventually you just get so callous to it and it just uh, feels like every other race. We were talking about this briefly before we hit the record button, but you were talking about being jet lagged from Budapest. How long is the flight? And take me through when you got to Budapest. Are there any scientific practices that Team USA was like, do this so you're not absolutely wrecked coming off the plane? Well, yeah. So actually, I guess I should start off with this. I flew to Italy right after the US champs because oh, right. I needed another race. I needed another mark because I wasn't I wasn't safe in the rankings. And like I flew the Monday after. So like I got done with like team processing Saturday night. I drove home to Seattle Sunday afternoon and then I got on a flight Monday morning to Italy. So that was like a really quick turnaround. And I ended up racing. I think it was like four days later. I think I got into <laughs> Italy on like Tuesday. Oh man, I, I've never been more jet lagged in my life. And I just like at that point, I was just trying to sleep as much as I could um, during any point of the day. It like didn't really matter. But I was like pretty destroyed <laughs> after that race. I mean, I think anyone that watched that race watched me lay on the track for about five minutes. So yeah, I, I like came back and I realized I was like, okay, I, I've probably made it. And if I do make it, I want to like actually get over there and be adjusted to the time schedule. So I was actually up in St. Moritz um, in Switzerland 
probably two weeks before the world champs. Yeah, I wanted 14 days to get ready. So I was up in St. Moritz with uh, my teammate and roommate, Kieran Lum, who runs for Canada. So we were staying up there and training together. And we were there for about like nine days. Or I guess he was there a couple days longer. But yeah, I just like tried to get on the time schedule as you know as quick as I could. Because usually when you hit like day six, you're so tired. And I, yeah, like I knew that going in. And so like, I kind of wanted to get through that period of time before I even like got to Budapest. And then once I was over like in Budapest, I felt like I was pretty on the time schedule and just like ready to race. How long was the flight back home and, and what'd you do to kill time? Or did you just oh try to sleep? <laughs> um, yeah, I tried to sleep. I like my, so the shuttle from the airport left at 3 a.m coming back over here because i had a six o'clock flight and so like i was up at like 2 30 getting getting like on the sh like getting ready to go on the shuttle and so like i mean i was like hanging out with sam tanner that night and like i maybe got back to my hotel at like midnight and finished packing i was like oh my god i have to leave in a couple hours <laughs> and so yeah i slept i slept the entire flight from budapest to frankfurt and then uh, had like an hour and a half layover. And then, I don't know, I just like watched movies on the flight back over to Seattle. It was like 10 and a half hours. So slept when I could, watched movies the rest of the time. Does it feel weird being back in the States after being in Europe for like a month? I know the culture over there is very different, not in a positive or negative way. I've just heard that it's very yeah. different. So is it, yeah, is yeah, it cool it's... to be back? Is it weird? What are the feelings? Um. Like, I'm definitely going to miss, like, being over there. Like, the food's phenomenal over there. But, like, I do have, like, my favorite places over here that are just, like, familiar. I am a huge fan of Chipotle. Hell yeah. And so, like, the first thing I got back was, like, a massive Chipotle bowl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good to be back in Seattle. Even though you're over there, like, racing, it is a really, like, high-stress environment. Like, I and I didn't, like, realize, like, how, like, worked up and, like, I guess, like, how like much emotional energy like I was like putting into like racing and just like getting ready to race until like I got back here and I was like wow it's like time to relax before we dive into your NCAA years as well as what you just did at the world champs and US champs I'd love to give some context to the listener who doesn't know you and your story let's bring it back multiple years to young Joe take me through how he got started in the sport and what his first impressions of it were yeah so I guess like my mom, she ran in college, she ran at Washington State. And like, I just grew up doing like community road races. And the person that put on the races was actually like my high school cross country coach. Um, and so like growing up in Soquami, like, I would see him pretty much at every road race. And he had boys like my age. And so like, I kind of knew them from school. And he just he thought I would be like a really good runner someday. And I played soccer all the way up until about like sixth or seventh grade. But then um, I did like uh, JO nationals and I won cross country in seventh grade and I won um, the 3K outdoors in eighth grade. And so I kind of knew that's where that's where I was headed um, and that like I was pretty I was pretty like tired of soccer and just kind of wanted to give something else a try. So, uh, yeah, I kind of got into track that way. And once uh, once I hit high school, I, I just started training with the team and my sister. She uh, she was also like she quit soccer and started like running cross country and track. And I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. And yeah, I mean, I've always like loved running 
And I just thought it'd be cool to, you know, try out track. And turns out I was like pretty decent at it. You mentioned your mom competed for Washington State back in the day. What was the influence she had on you? I'm always curious for, you know, the runners, the parent runners, like how they try to push the sport on their kids without pushing it on them, if that makes sense. Because I feel like most of them try to be hands off, but also very supportive. Yeah, I feel like she, um, I mean, I, she didn't like ever really push it on me. I think like after my sister was like done with soccer, my mom was like, oh, you should like try out this. And then, but like, she never like really forced us to do it. We just kind of found it ourselves and um, just like really got into it. You talked about, you know, getting your participation in the sport, getting your feet wet in the sport. But what was the point that you realized, hey, I can be really, really good at this? Like, where did you go from doing the sport to then like, oh, I can be really good. And I'm going to start to devote some time and energy to being good. Yeah. I mean, I think after, uh, like my freshman year of high school, like I wasn't like running a ton and I had already ran like by the end of my senior or by the end of my freshman year, I'd run like maybe 425 and 914 for the two mile. And I made state in the two mile. And I mean, I was running less than 50 miles a week and I was like pretty short still like I still had like a lot of like growing and like a lot of strength to develop and I was like oh like maybe like I could be really good at this especially like as the years go on and so like I was pretty much all in after that point like I really wanted to win a state title and yeah that yeah that probably got me the most motivated. Let's talk about one of these state races where most people, when they hear the time 406, it would win almost every single state meet, but you happen yeah. to be in the same <laughs> state as a legend, and that 406 placed you as second. What were the feelings and emotions there? Were you happy with the time? Were you sad you didn't win? What were the thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I would have loved to win. I mean, 406 was, like, a huge PR to begin with, and, like, it was, like, a decently windy day, and I think, like, maybe if I had run the race a little bit different, maybe I would have won, but I don't know. I felt like even though like I closed fast, I still felt like I had like more to give if I like went out a little quicker. And so like, by the time like I got to Brooks PR, I was like pretty confident I could like run like three or four seconds faster. And like that ended up being like a little bit quicker of a race. But um, I mean, yeah, I was like pretty gutted. I really wanted that mile state title, but just had to settle for the for the two mile. If I were to read off some of your accomplishments that I read through in preparation for this conversation, we'd be here all day. Like you ran tons of fast times. You placed high at prestigious meets like Brooks PR, as you talked about, you know, you ran NXN, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, you could go to almost any school that you wanted to. So why Washington? Why did why did it stand out? And ultimately, you know, what was the decision to go to UW? Yeah. So, I mean, there were like quite a few factors all my life, like I thought I wanted to like get out of the state and like go like experience something new. Like I was born at UW. Like I grew up in Seattle, like the first like three years of my life and like living on Soquamie, you're not too far away from Seattle. So like I would be going to like Husky football games with my parents um, and like basketball games. And so I felt like I spent like a lot of time at UW. And so I don't know, I like explored my options, but once, uh, once I saw Andy and Marisa, like they left Oregon and they took the jobs at, at UW, I was like, wow, this is going to be like an absolute powerhouse. Um, I took a visit and yeah, instantly like knew that's like where I wanted to go. I mean, I looked at other schools, but I don't know. I felt like I had just that like really good connection with Andy on my visit. And I was like, um, he's going to be the one that like 
helps me win a national title someday. And like, I felt, I feel like I can like really trust him. Um, and like growing up, like I would be watching like the U S finals and he would have five or six guys on the start line. And I'm like, that's, that's where I wanted to be someday. I was like, he's going to be like probably the best guy to help me get to that position. Take me through that first year of adjustment. How were things, you know, athletically as well as academically? I know for a lot of kids, it's a big adjustment where life changes in multiple different ways. So how did you handle it? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough. I, uh, I, I mean, I'm on my own for the first time. And there was like, I lived in a really nice dorm right above like the, I would say like the school grocery store. And they have like, so many good snacks and like so many unhealthy options and like i really did have to go through that to make sure that um i mean like me and sam Tanner, i would say we both gained like 10 pounds 15 pounds somewhere <laughs> there just from like i mean yeah it was just it was pretty insane um i guess i was just like really trying to get like adjusted to being on my own and um like i was like running and training well i just like wasn't racing well and then yeah COVID happened and so I felt like I was like actually like finally in a place where I was like making um maybe like a jump in training and but there were just no races that outdoor spring and I actually had some good workouts that like I was like huh maybe like I am close to like running like 401 or 402 but just like never like there just weren't any races that spring and so I don't know. I think a lot of athletes will say this, but they use that COVID period to just like train and train and train. And that's like what me and a bunch of my teammates did and ended up like, like training hard that um, summer came into the fall and I was running like the most miles I had ever run and ended up like running a 5k. I think it was like that October and November and ran like 1351. And so I was like, all right, now I'm back on track and um, this is going to be like a good step forward and gives me confidence. I can improve more. That following spring and summer, 2021, you end up being the Pac-12 steeplechase runner-up, which I was amused to read about. I didn't remember it uh, back in 2021. I guess I must have not been following along or just I'm so used to seeing you in the 15 that I just completely forgot about it. The reason I bring up that specific event and race is because um, other podcast guesting close friend of mine, Kai Robinson, was also a big steeplechaser. And I think to this day, he holds the school record at uh yeah school record holder at stanford in that event and obviously drops out goes on to dominate in the 5k 10k you drop out of the steeplechase go on to dominate in the 15 do you think there's something here where people start out in the steeplechase and then just get really good at a different event man i mean i think steeplechase it's it is a really hard event like people most people think people go to the steeplechase because they can't do anything else but like it's a really hard event and if you are good at it like I think odds are you're going to be good at other events. Um, the strength it takes and like even the strength you get from like doing steeple workouts like is pretty beneficial. And like I was doing steeple workouts this like this spring. Um, I mean, my shoe came off at Pac-12s, but like I thought I was in good steeple shape and I knew I like was going to run the 15 anyways. But like, I don't know, it's always nice to keep like another event in your back pocket. Yeah. So in the future, is that uh, something you and Andy will maybe play around with, you know, dipping your feet in the steeplechase or are you all in on the 15? I mean, I would, I would say I'm all in on the 15 and like, but like, you never know what's going to happen. Like 
I could, I do enjoy running the steeplechase. So like, yeah, maybe in the future, like I do try and run the steeple again. Yeah. I guess it's been like a few years since like I've like completed a steeple, but, um, like, yeah, I thought I was in shape to at least run under eight thirty, like towards the end of the, towards the end of, I don't know, April, but yeah, just you get busy running the 1500 regionals, nationals and so on that, like, there's just not that many steeple races you can fit in. You mentioned a guy like Sam, who I feel like was at the forefront of UW during his time there. I'm curious for you in your career at UW, at what point were you aware that you guys were slowly becoming Miler U with you, Nate Green, Luke, like a ton of other guys who are just incredibly good. Was there a light bulb moment where you were like, oh, you know, we're really good at this specific event? Yeah, so I know. <laughs> yeah, I guess there wasn't like really like a light bulb moment. I guess last year, like I got pretty sick in the winter and like I had to take like most of December off. So I didn't have like that base that like I needed to run the three or the five um, in indoor season. And so like I just like focused on running the mile. And like Luke had already run well, Brian had already run 355 and Karen had already run 355. And I remember like seeing this like post or something about how like, like UW had like either the second or the third, like best like team average through four. And I was like, I think I was the fourth guy and I felt like I was just bringing us down. So like, I knew I had to like run faster and ended up like running 356, like shortly after breaking four for the first time going to Arkansas. It's a fast track. <laughs> Joe, I'm skipping some years here, but what was the race this past indoor season? Was it seven guys that broke four on your team? Eight guys? Yeah, Sam Ellis was like running unattached, but like it was eight of us. Um, Take me through that race. Yeah, so that that whole day was like pretty special. And I would say that like whole week was pretty special because like we all had it on the calendar like that we were doing the mile. And we we definitely like talked about it like all of us getting under but like like i don't think we all thought we were gonna like like run as fast as like we did and like i mean after running like 218 like i thought like i could definitely run somewhere in like the 353 or 354 range but like as like as the week went on we all were starting to feel like really really good and like maybe the day before we were all chatting about it and like Andy had like his entire plan of like how he wanted the race to go. And like, it ended up going like almost identical to like what he wrote down. But we were just like, Hey, like, let's, let's have fun tomorrow. So like, we all had like matching warm-up uniforms. Like we had like these white hoodies and like, it's pitch black outside, but we're all like, we're all just dripped out in UW stuff, like running around in the dark and like, we're just laughing and it's not even like, it felt like we were just like warming up for practice. Like we weren't about to go have like the greatest race of our career at that point. So, um, yeah, that whole day was like pretty special. We were like playing ping pong in the team room, like <laughs> two and a half hours out, just like listening to music. It was, it was pretty, it was a fun day. Like regardless of the race, that would have just been a really fun day. What is the moment after the race? Like when all eight of you realize you did it, is that a moment that will forever be etched in your memory as like one of the more special yeah. moments? Yeah. Like it's so funny. Cause like, obviously like the race you're just so focused in the race that like you almost just like don't even like realize what's happening you almost get into just like this like tunnel vision where like you're just like trying to get to the finish line that you don't really even like realize what's going on you're just like 
so far in the pain cave that like you're just trying to get to the finish line and then like yeah i ended up like just edging out brian but like i was like on the floor <laughs> i was on the drag i was so tired and like not even like really realizing like how fast we all ran and then like i looked up at the scoreboard and i was like holy crap we just like we well a all broke four but like all like like destroyed four and then yeah just like we were all celebrating after and we were just all so hyped because at that point i think like six of us had run under 356 and like probably qualified ourselves for nationals and like two and then the other two like ended up qualifying for nationals like when we did it at boston like i don't know four weeks later but yeah i guess like at that point we were just like we have like a real powerhouse here and like we have some chance to score some points at nationals do you remember your first interaction with andy after that race you and the guys what was he like was he fired up he was he was happy yeah like he had a huge smile on his face but he always like he wants us to keep our heads like pretty level like he doesn't want it to get to our heads because like at the end of the day like you run a good time but like you need to keep working hard and like you need to remember how hard you work to get to that point because that's what it's going to take to run even faster what are these workouts like with <laughs> so many different guys who are close enough in fitness that you guys can rip with each other? I feel like, of course, you know, in the fall season, in the base building season, a lot of those workouts on most teams, most teams can do together. But when you get more specific event type, a lot of times it's sometimes guys are on their own doing workouts by themselves. And you know yeah. so well that when you're on an 800 meter pace or mile pace, like it is very hard and having a guy much less five guys to push you through it is a big advantage. So can you speak to that atmosphere that's created at UW with so many different guys of the same caliber? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would say that's probably the biggest thing and like why we all have it, like why we all had this such big jump this year. We all had like pretty big goals coming into this year and we knew that like you can't really do it alone. You need like each other to like, because you can't do like the workouts that we do alone. Like it's pretty, like it would be impossible. Like you need to have your teammates help drag you through some of the reps and then you take your turn um, and you make sure you hit your split. But yeah, it it's so nice having four or five guys also do these same workouts with you so that, and, and that also gives you confidence because you're working out with like other guys that are running 351, 352. Brian ran 1301. Like he's a huge strength guy and like really helps pull us through like the long strength workouts and, yeah, it's just nice having guys that can like help with like all aspects of like your training. Let's talk about 2022 NCAA Outdoors. You win your first title in the 15. Take me through this race and, and what it meant to you to win an NCAA title after years of working for one. Yeah, I guess I haven't really talked about that race a ton. Um, I mean, I was so stoked just to, like, make the national meet. I remember, like, after regionals, like, me, Luke, and Nathan all made it, and we were just, like, whole, like, wow. I can't believe we're going to the national meet for, like, the first time. I mean, Nathan was a true freshman, and, like, me and Luke, like, we both did. Like, Luke was trying in the 5K, and I tried in the sequel the year before, and we both missed out on the national meet. And, yeah, so, like, making the national meet was, like, just a cool experience. We were so excited to go to Eugene. Um, we all like had raced at pack 12s at Hayward four weeks before. And it was just like such an unbelievable experience. And the stadium was so cool that like, we just couldn't wait to race there again. Um, and like our workouts had been going like really, really well. And like, I think 
all like all i mean luke and nathan had already run like 337 and i mean just doing the workouts with them it just like gave me confidence i was probably in about the same shape and then like you just get into the race and like in the prelim you got it like i was racing it like it was like the final and like ended up making the final and just like absolutely full sending with like 250 to go i mean on like like usually I write down like how I want my race plan or like what I think the race is going to like play out as and like what I want, like as my goals. And I remember that morning, like I would, I think I would have been happy with top five, but uh, like I ended up, I was like in top five at the bell and I kind of realized I had a shot to win it with 300 to go and yeah, made my move and just didn't look back. As much as you can remember, take us through when that light bulb moment hits in the race mid-race like hey my goals have just adjusted from fifth place where like most people will forget about this to i can win the whole thing like i am happy to be here and yet with 300 to go like this is my shot like take take it grasp it because you won't get another chance again potentially yeah yeah um i think with about 350 to go i was feeling like really good and i felt like it was about to start moving 300 to go uh it doesn't start moving yet and i'm like I need to like get to the front because once it starts going, like I'm going to have to run extra distance on the outside. Like I might as well get to the rail now. And so, yeah, once I got to 200 to go, I felt like I was accelerating and everyone was saying the same. So yeah, I got to 200 to go. And I like, I remember like looking up at the board and I had gapped Luke by like maybe a couple steps. And I was like, I just need to make it to the finish line. And yeah, that's when I like thought like I probably had won. The following yeah. year, this past year in June in Austin, was the 2023 NCAA Championships. You didn't come away with the win this time, but your teammate Nate Green did. Take me through this race and how meaningful and special was it to go 1-2 and uh, yeah, yeah, just the feelings and emotions of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, Nate is like such a talented guy. And um, after like after his race at Pac-12s, like he opened up at Pac-12s and like destroyed the whole field and like yeah i had a bad day but like seeing nathan like run that well i was like he's definitely got a shot to win um and he wants it bad he uh yeah he just has such a fire in him and uh it just lifts everyone else up when we like after winning last year or i guess the year before in 2022 we all like had a pretty like big goal um sam ellis did end up deciding to do the eight but like we all wanted to go one two three four and like we didn't care what order we went in as long as we went one two three four and like sam ended up doing the eight and like luke just like he had like an off day and on on an off day luke's 10th in the country but i mean he showed it indoors that like on his best day he can win um but yeah we all just wanted to go one two three and so like i mean i see nathan win and i'm obviously stoked for him that's something I really want to get into because if you watched it in person or watched the broadcast or watched the replay, you have this massive lean at the line to get second, but then immediately it's almost like you didn't run the race at all and you're immediately, you know, hugging Nathan. Like you can just visibly see how proud you are of him. And you flash back to indoors, a similar thing with Luke when he won. I mean, it, it speaks testament to who you are and your character as a person. I feel like a lot of people, even if it's their teammate, like they just pride gets in the way of, of, doing that and being kind and and supportive so can you take me through that attribute that you have of just like uplifting other people and and being proud and sharing in their success and lifting them up through it yeah i mean 
Luke and Nathan were stoked for me, like when I won and they celebrated it with like with me. And I mean, when Luke won this indoor season, I was so happy for him. Like I've been friends with him for years now. And like, I feel like a lot of people talk about like cultures on, on like, like high school, like professional and college teams. But like at Washington, like we are all like friends and we would be friends, like even if like running wasn't a factor. And so like being a part of like this team, I want to see like all of my friends like achieve their goals. And like when I see them and it's lucky because like I'm in the race, I'm on the track and I watch, like I watch them achieve their like lifelong goals and I get to instantly celebrate it with them. Like I couldn't be in like a better position. And so like after Luke won and after Nathan won, just like giving them hugs and like, I mean, you get to see it in their eyes. Like they're so happy that they've like just achieved these lifelong goals. And so, yeah, just like really special, like to be there and be like a part of it instantly. A few weeks later, you run the U.S. championships in Eugene this time. Uh, take me through this race or I guess races. There are three rounds. So you got the like prelim, semifinal and then final. You make it to the final. Oh, there's no semi. There is no semi this year. Oh, right. Um, right. There will be year though at the olympic trials right it's um, this year was trippy because even the 5k i thought there would be a semi-final because normally there is but it was just a straight final yeah. so you're right on that you're right on yeah, that. i know it is it is weird though yeah that like yeah there were only two rounds this year yeah which uh yeah makes super it harder weird. yeah super good so i guess take me through the two races not three you make the final yeah yeah so i mean i guess like i probably need to talk about the prelim to like get to the final but I, I had been four weeks since I'd raced nationals and like I knew I was in good shape and I didn't know like exactly what type of shape I was in, but I got into that race and like I'd never felt like better in my whole life. And um, I had Yared in my in my prelim and he just like after what, 300 meters, he just started like clicking off. <laughs> and like I eventually got to the point where I was like, man, maybe I should like try and knock out the world standard like right now because I don't know if I'm going to have like a chance in the final, but ended up, um, yeah, just kind of letting him go that last hundred. Like once I realized we had like separated by a good bit. And so like, I kind of like looked around and I was like, okay, I need to save like as much as I can for this final in two days. And so, yeah, kind of finished. And I was like, wow, like feel like really, really good, <laughs> which was crazy. Cause like, that was probably like my second or third fastest, like time I'd ever run. And I was like, oh, okay this final is about to be like really, really good. And like, I was pretty confident at that point that like, oh, maybe I have like a shot at making the team. And then was able to recover like pretty well through the next couple of days. Um, ended up getting to the final and Yara did the same thing. He just, he went out like decently quick. And like, I didn't find myself in like the greatest position, um, like off the start, like they, people got out pretty quick. And I think I was like, it's probably back in like ninth or 10th through like 300 through 700. And then I got to 800 meters and I was like, okay, if I like stay back here too long, like I'm not going to have a shot at making the team. So ended up like, like sprinting from 800 to 900 meters to get myself like up to like maybe second or third with 600 to go and just put myself like right on yard um, with like a lap to go. And I was like, okay, just like hold on. And then with 300 to go, I was like hurting pretty bad. I was like, okay, I need to like make a move now, like get the legs going or they're not like going to start going. Like, I don't know. I just knew I like, if I got to the front, there's a good chance that I was going to be top three. So 
ended up moving past him and he ended up coming he came flying by me with like a hundred to go but i was just like hang on for dear life and yeah ended up ended up like getting second and yeah i mean it was i was tired but like i was just yeah the emotions that just like flooded over me just yeah kind of um yeah i didn't even like realize i was tired anymore but more like i had a chance to go to budapest not even sure if you're conscious at this point, but are you conscious with 100 to go? Like, hey, I'm leading the U.S. champs with 100 meters to go. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I realized I was leading, and I was, like, pretty worried that guys were going to come flying past me. But I still felt like I was, like, accelerating forward rather than fading. So I was like, as long as, like, I keep accelerating, I should be okay. You mentioned that Pac-12 race. What did you place in that fourth? Uh, no, I, I think I was 11. Okay, 11. Okay. Here's what I want to bring up. Okay, so you place 11th. Even though it's a bad day, you place 11th. And then at the NCAA championships, you play second. And then indoors, your teammate Luke wins it. But yet, yeah. you play second at the U.S. championships and almost win the thing. You're leading with 100 meters to go. What do you think that says about the depth of the NCAA? Yeah, I mean, oh, I mean, if you just look at like the NCAA final, like Adam Spencer was third and he, like after the NCAA final, he ran 331 over in London and Anas Society, he ran 332 over in France and he was fourth. The guys that are in the NCAA and coming back next year, it's going to, it's going to be stacked. And I think the competition is like just as good as like anywhere else in the world. Um, especially like if you like set up these races, right? Like we could run fast this year. And it's going to be competitive. Like these NCAA championships are going to be really, really competitive. What's it like to be a part of it and at the forefront of it of guys pushing the sport forward specifically within the NCAA? It's at least in my opinion. I'm obviously a little biased because I'm more recent of a fan of the sport. I haven't been around 50 years, but I've personally never seen anything like it. So what's it like to to be a part of what you just said, an upcoming season that could be one for the books after I feel like the past four have been ones for the books? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like every single year the bar just gets higher and like, I know the bar this year is going to just like keep getting higher. And I just want to be, I just want to like be up at the top rather than like being consistent at like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like three or four guys this year ran like 348 or 349 indoors. And like, that's crazy. Like if I would have said that like four years ago, I would have thought like I was crazy, but like, it actually is like realistic now. And like, it, I don't even think it's like too far, like out of reach. I mean, if you like look at the times, like Adam and Anas society, like that probably converts to about that. And I know both of them are coming back and like the Oak state guys are good. Um, and I think like, we're all so competitive, like with each other when it comes to these races that like, we're all going to like, just lift each other up and like bring each other to new heights. Everyone wants to bring up the spikes and justify them for the fast times. It's in my personal opinion that I think they help. In my opinion, I think they more help in training rather than racing. And they certainly, in my opinion, don't help as much as we're seeing the improvements. So in your opinion, what would you attribute the improvements to? Are you going to be like, Dom, it's all the spikes. You're wrong. No, I mean, the spikes feel good. I would be lying if I said I don't think the spikes help. But I also do think that the spikes probably help more through the rounds rather than like actual times on the track. I mean, I do think that they do and they probably, I mean, what is it like half a second, a second, maybe two, I don't know. And I don't think like anyone really knows, but um, like the super shoes and the training and the new foams just like allow you to recover so much quicker. And like, I'm a huge believer in like 
wearing super shoes like during workouts like whatever they are because it just like allows you to recover so much quicker it's not like it's not like you're not doing the work it just like allows you to be that much fresher for the next workout in two or three days so i don't know i think it's a great tool and like i don't know i don't know why anyone wouldn't use them what would you attribute you know you said three or four guys could potentially run 348 349 what would you attribute you know the modern day ncaa success to yeah um i mean i think i think the ncaa setup is probably like one of the best setups for like athletes in the world like maybe even better than some professional setups you have an amazing team um to train with every day you have like all of the like university resources at your disposal like you got Cairo and massage and um like athletic trainers whenever you need them and like you have like a set meeting time every day to like meet and roll out and stretch and like you have lifting regimens and you got strength trainers and nutritionists yeah i just think like you have like all the tools at your disposal and if like you use them correctly that's like what really brings um like these fast times that we're seeing i got a little off the beaten path uh picking your brain on the insta play so getting back on the path usa's happens you play second you end up flying over to Europe, running a faster time in the 15, solidifying your spot via world ranking. You make it to the world championships with the USA singlet. Take me through your experience the few days in Budapest and, and what it meant to yeah. you, how your race went, and reflections from the from the week. Yeah, so, I mean, Budapest was awesome. Um, seeing the stadium for the first time was, like, unreal. There's this, like, there's this practice track that looked like one of the better facilities I've seen, but it wasn't <laughs> even, like, the regular track. And so like you go from this practice track that's unreal and then you go over this bridge with like all of these flags of every country that that's in the meet and then you come up to this like massive stadium like the most massive stadium i've ever raced in and it's just like insane like in the race you're taking you're taken over in these golf carts like along with like all of your other competitors and so yeah um for like pre me, I did it at like a different place just because like I didn't want like any of the noise and uh, any of the distractions the day before. But like once I got to the meet, it was like it was crazy and everyone was so fired up and it's just such an incredible atmosphere to be in. You get like, I mean, I I was nervous, but like I warmed up with Kieran and um, our like female coach Marisa was here. And she was with us. And so like I was warming up with Kieran and it didn't really feel like any different than like a warm up for like a workout back in Seattle. Like we're just together about to just like, you know, all you can really do is empty your tank. So yeah, got got into the stadium and it's loud. Like it was really, really loud. Like there were so many fans and I like couldn't believe it for like the 15 prelim. And I'm standing on the start line and two guys to my right is Sam Tanner, my freshman year roommate. So that was pretty special. Um, yeah, we both threw up, threw up the dubs, and um, so that was fun. And I mean, as a rate, as the race went, like I felt pretty good, but yeah, it was frustrating. I mean, I was stuck on the rail, and I was looking for a way out like pretty early on, but there was just never a good time. And I guess like in the NCAA, there's like in in the final, it's twelve, and like usually like there's I don't know nine or 10 guys that are like really, really good. But at the world stage, there's 56 guys that are really, really good. And so like no heat's easy. And like, 
we're, I don't know what the spread was, but like I ended up missing the semi by like point one or point two, and um, just never found a way out. I was just stuck on the rail the whole time, and yeah, that was frustrating. But like, yeah, everyone closed in like fifty one or fifty two. There was just no way out, um, and I would say that was probably the most frustrating part of the race. But like, as an ex- the experience as a whole was like pretty unreal and such so valuable going forward and hopefully like a good like valuable experience heading into the olympics if you could think of one off the top of your head what is the biggest lesson that this experience taught you that you're taking with you going into the 2024 paris olympic year yeah um i need to be more confident like leading and there was like a moment with like i mean it was pretty early in the race maybe like 250 where i was like i should probably take this but like just being so inexperienced at the world stage i was just like i like i didn't know what was going to happen and like i i regret that a lot just like not going to the front and like even just running a little bit quicker like instead of running 65s like maybe running like just 60s and like still having something left for that kick but yeah, just be being more confident, being up at the front, and uh, just like kind of dictating the race rather than having like someone else dictate it. We've gone through some of your performances this year, whether it was the you know opener one k, the mile where eight UW guys break four, and you were at the forefront of that. The NCAA indoor meet, the NCAA outdoor meet, U.S. champs, world champs. You had one of the most successful you know seasons that a collegiate has ever had. How would you personally sum up? this past seven, eight months? Yeah, I would just say, yeah, how would I sum it up? I would just say it's been years of consistent work and like you put all those years of consistent work together and it just like, it all eventually happen. For some people it comes overnight, others it takes years in the making, but like, yeah, a season, like I, I had been dreaming of having like a season like this for a long time. Um, I know I didn't like win like either national indoors or national outdoors, but like ended up like placing up pretty high, got myself two more like first team all Americans making my first like world team. Like I've been dreaming of like this opportunity for like a long time now. So yeah, just a lot of years of consistent work went into it. And yeah, that's probably how I would sum it up. In relation to that principle that you shared of the consistent work over time and it eventually paying off, um, I came across a quote. I actually think it was in a book I read, and then I came across it later uh, by James Clear. He's one of my favorite authors. He wrote the book Atomic Habits, and he has this quote that I think perfectly sums up what you said, so I want to get your take on it. James said, Complaining about not achieving success despite working hard is like complaining about an ice cube not melting when you heated it from 25 to 31 degrees. Your work was not wasted. It is just being stored. All action happens at 32 degrees. Yeah, that's a sweet quote. It's just like the consistent work over time and it's maybe hard to know where you're at on that temperature graph, but you just got to keep working until you hit 32 degrees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, consistent work just builds on consistent work and strength builds on strength. And then eventually you just get strong enough to like really run like, I mean, that's really all it is. You just build, build the strength and um, build the confidence. So yeah, I can't wait to see what this next year holds. Just getting strong again and just putting putting more more weeks on top of weeks i'm assuming people assume this through our conversation but uh you're coming back to the ncaa coming back to uw for one final year can you speak on this opportunity yeah yeah so i mean i thought this year 
like I was going to be able to get my master's degree, but they, yeah, unfortunately, um, yeah, I had to drop the program. It was like, it was pretty summer heavy and I had to be there in person, but, uh, yeah, like I really wanted to go to Budapest. So I told them that I was going to have to have to drop the program, but yeah, I was already planning on coming back to UW and I was really looking forward to like a whole nother year. I'm rooming with like some of my like teammates and like we were all like really looking forward to this year. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just such a great opportunity just like getting to stay in the NCAA a whole nother year, help build the program even more. And like I've had so many great role models here at UW uh, and I've gotten to live with some of them, which which has been uh, very fortunate. But yeah, now I can just hopefully be you know, a good role model to the young guys coming in because we got a big class of young guys coming in this year. We've mentioned him many times in this conversation, Coach Andy Powell. Uh, he comes up in many of my podcasts because many of his former athletes are crushing it. And uh, one at the forefront of my mind is um, Andrew Weeding, who way back in the day at U of O, he talked about his experience there and, you know, the workouts they would crush and, and just all that Andy did within his own career. Do you think that, uh, and I know you're a bit biased here, but I would I would go on the record and state this. Do you think Coach Andy is the greatest miler coach of all time? It certainly seems yeah, like it on paper. I, yeah, I would I would say so. Yeah, I mean, on paper, definitely. I mean, if you just, like, look at all of the guys he's coached, and, like, he, like, I would say, like, every single year he has, like, at least a couple guys, if not, like, five or six guys in the U.S. final in the 1500. And so, like, yeah, you just like look at all of the guys he's coached and yeah, all of the success that like they've had. So, I mean, I would say so, but I know I'm biased on that too because we have such like a great relationship. So what do you think the, the Powell formula is without spilling too many secrets? Yeah, I mean, I would say the Powell formula, it, it all starts by like recruiting the right people. You could be as good, like you could be running like, I don't know, 350, like straight out of high school, like Andy, as long, if you're not like a good fit for the program, like, like you just won't be here. Um, and so I think like recruiting the right guys um, mixed with like his belief in like having like this unbelievable team culture where everyone lifts each other up and helps work together. I think that's probably like one of the more important like things. We talked about the atmosphere and the culture surrounding the milers, the guys on the team, and how you guys lift each other up and push each other within these workouts. If you can share, is there one specific workout that stands out in your mind that you guys accomplished and you were like, holy crap, we just did that? Like, what? Man, I mean, we have so many great workouts. Uh, I, I would say, like, my favorites are, like, Tuesday mornings where, like, we just crush, like, a tempo run like, I don't know, five or six miles. Uh, and like this year had been like a pretty big, like strength jump for me. And like Brian Faye would like be pulling me to like a six mile tempo. And like, I'd average like, I don't know, 447. And I like, wouldn't even like believe it. Like when I finished and I'd like second check my watch. And then like in the afternoon coming back, running like eight by 300, just like averaging, I don't know, 42, 41. There is one 300 workout um, right before USA's where I knew we were like all really, really fit. And we did eight by 300. And like our last four were like 40, 40, 38, 37 low. And I was just like, okay, we're all like really ready to go now. 
we talked about, you know, some of Andy's former athletes. I mentioned Andrew Weeding, Centro's a part of those former athletes he's had on so many. I know Sam Prakel's still around the team. By the way, is it Sam Prakel or Prackle? It's Prakel. Okay, yeah. Prakel. So I got it right. Okay, Sam's still around the team. How much does Andy reference these guys in terms of just the lessons he learned from coaching some of the best individuals to ever do it um, and draw from his experience in relation to maybe something you're going through and he references one of his athletes? Does he do that at all? I mean, he like he does like on occasion. Yeah, like Sam, Sam is around like all the time. Like I ran with him this morning. I mean, yeah, he's like our volunteer assistant and like he's like we joke about this, but like his regimen's like pretty perfect. And so like we would like whenever we're like trying to debate something like to like if we if we just ask ourselves what would Prakel do <laughs> and so um yeah it's pretty nice having Sam around and he's been like a really good mentor and a good friend and yeah like he's he's an awesome training partner and just having having like those really successful guys around like all the time um it just makes you believe you can do it too up next for you is uh, back on the grass. What are your thoughts and feelings surrounding that? Do you like cross country? Is it kind of tough being a little humbled after being on top of the world, literally, and then, you know, just getting back to grass workouts? Yeah, I mean, I've always like, I mean, I do like cross country and it's such a fun team like experience. I, I hope I can figure it out this year. I fit, I feel like every single year, like I'm like this close to figuring it out and just like, just don't have the races that I want. And like, it's funny last year, like I was 160th maybe at like nationals, but like, I like couldn't believe it. Cause I was in like the strength shape of my life. And I was like, how did I just get 160th? But like, it, I guess it did end up showing like a month or two later when like we all ran really fast and mild. Like I, like, I don't know why I couldn't figure it out on the grass, but hopefully this year I can. This is the year. This is the year. Yeah, we'll see it go down. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know when, when I'll open up, but yeah. Cause like, yeah, I, I, I just took a break last week and yeah, I'll probably just slowly get back into things, but like, I couldn't be more excited. I'm definitely going to be running that last pack 12 cross cross championship. So um, yeah, maybe there, maybe Nutty come. We'll see. Joe, it's been an absolute fantastic conversation learning from you, hearing your story. And honestly, like my favorite part has just been like picking your brain on these different experiences. You see the race in person on TV, you know, as a fan of the sport, I watch all of it. I follow all of it. But then to hear like the inside scoop, and the inside stories has been really, really fun. One final serious question for you. What would be one final takeaway message you want a listener to walk away with? Someone who made it this far in the conversation, what's something you want them to walk away with? Yeah, I mean... I would say, yeah, hard work and consistency is like what helps you get to like the next level. It doesn't come overnight, but yeah, as long as you work hard and you're consistent and you're smart about your training, like I, I can almost guarantee you, you'll improve and get to the next level and achieve your goals. So yeah. I love it. Joe, one final question for you. The question I ask every guest on every podcast, if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over to your house for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? What would I choose to make for him? Um, I feel like this is a pretty big specialty in our house, but uh, Thai green curry. Yeah, mm. we make that all the time. Um, yeah, maybe because it's like it's a pretty simple dish, but yeah, that's 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 one of my favorites. And yeah, make it all the time. What are the ingredients in that? Yeah, so like yeah, start by like um, start by just like chopping up some onions putting like we have like uh, a big pot so yeah put the onions in a little olive oil or butter 
Um, then yeah, throw in the chicken, um, let that brown and just kind of like soak up some of the flavor from the onions. And then, yeah, we'll put, we'll put in just like chopped up peppers. And so, yeah, it, that all kind of like comes together when we put in like the Thai green curry paste. Um, and then it starts smelling good and then dump in a couple cans of coconut milk, um, and then put in like fish sauce, soy sauce, um, if you need to put in more curry paste, we'll put in that. But it's pretty easy to like we can put that on and like and put on like the rice cooker and then we head out for our double and it's ready for us right when we get back. But it's a good, like easy dish to make. And that's yeah, one of my favorites. Not only did I soak up some some wisdom, running wisdom, life wisdom, but I also got a new uh, recipe that I learned from Joe Oscombe today. So a successful podcast. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure doing this with you. Really appreciate it and can't wait to see you continue to crush it. So appreciate it, man. Sweet. Thanks, Dominic. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.